sentimental One who never sets you in a whirl One who will be always sweet and gentle I am not that kind of girl But if you prefer a rather swift one If you think you'd like to run around With a bright one I am just the right one. Naughty baby, naughty baby, who will tease you? I can show the way and know the way to please. Yes, it's naughty week. It's naughty week here at CT Public. There's some confusion, I think it's fair to say. Confusion sown mostly by me. It, it's mainly not a, not a week in the nautical sense of naughty week. And we're going to be doing, I, where we live is doing so many nautical shows. I think they're doing eight this week. Eight different nautical shows. And they only have five, no, they have four days they can do them. So anyway, and then we're doing two. Uh, tomorrow we are going to re-air I think a pretty interesting show we did. Let me, before I say all this stuff, it's Ask or Tell Me Anything. So you can call 888 888- 720 WNPR. Uh, get uh, get in the queue, so to speak. 888-720-9677. You can call about anything you want. And, um, well, you can. You just can. <laughs> There's no end about it. <laughs> you can pick your own topic. But we like it. We like, we like sort of esoteric things. I mean, look, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Whatever's burning a hole in your heart right now. 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. I'm going to be honest and tell you that either the phones aren't working or we don't have any calls yet. So, you know, this is a good time. You, like, chances are you get on pretty quick. Okay, so let me tell you about, let me go back to Naughty Week. So Naughty Week, and this was the brainchild of our friends at Where We Live. And they said, does anybody else want to do Naughty Week? And, of course, everybody wanted to do Naughty Week. So there's going to be something on Disrupted. There's going to be something on Audacious. Audacious has people... Like who are underwater for like record amounts of time. I think it's like a person who held his breath underwater for a record amount of time, but also a person who stayed underwater like for days and days and days, weeks and weeks and weeks, months and months, that kind of thing. Um, what else is there? There's seasoned, I would guess, clams, <laughs> shrimp, I don't know, uh, things like that. Anyway, we're what we're doing, did, did I say all the shows? Where We Live, Seasoned, Disrupted, Audacious. Okay, so, uh, and then there's us. So, yeah, we have a show that we did in 2019. It was all about shipwrecks. We did it down at the Connecticut River Museum where, and it just turns out, I mean, it's amazing like how many things are either still missing or impossible to get to. And in the case of Connecticut, there was this uh, burning of Essex. There was an attack on the shoreline during the American Revolution. And I don't know, it's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's fascinating. And then Captain Kidd. And so so there's this double meaning of naughty week, right? So there's nautical. But then there's also naughty. And Captain Kidd was very naughty. I'm uh, just no getting around that either. Very naughty. Uh, and it's possible that some of his treasure uh, is is hidden somewhere around here. I don't know. That's all I remember from it. It's all a dark dream leading to sleep. But so that's going to re-air tomorrow. And then we have a brand new show. 
about sea shanties. I really like sea shanties, and I like them before they were trendy. They got, got very <laughs> – I know it's a little hard to wrap your mind around. <clears throat> but in 2021, as we sat in the thick of the pandemic, uh, somehow or other, sea shanties on TikTok turned out to be like this big thing. And there's a feature on, on the TikToks where you can um, – it's called the duet feature – and you can sort of add your harmony to somebody else's, da 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 da, da uh, like that, you know. And so, so they would build up these very harmonic uh, sea shanties from you know people all over the world, presumably, as far as the TikTok can see. Uh, so people who didn't know each other would sort of get involved with each other's songs. Well, anyway, I've always liked sea shanties anyway, and I explain, I think, on the show how much that extends, how far back in my life that extends to my very very geeky days. <laughs> which I say that as if I've outlived them, but which is not quite true. But when I was like in third grade, I was I was an even bigger nerdy weirdo than I am now. Uh, and so I liked sea shanties. The Beatles were coming to America, and I liked sea shanties. That's really all you need to know. That's sort of why I didn't have more friends. Um, so anyway, we're going to do a whole show. We had uh, we did it with uh, we recorded a lot of it last week. We brought um, the uh, Jovial Crew, uh, a group of sea shanty singers, into the studio, and they sang live. And we talked about sea shanties. It's just going to be just fascinating as anything. And then on Thursday, we're talking about Myers Briggs, which has no connection to the ocean that I can see anyway, but the uh, the Myers Briggs personality types. All right, so uh, it's ask or tell me anything. We have open lines here. We have uh, the numbers eight 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 seven two zero WNPR. 888-720-9677. Challenge me. Give me something to talk about. Uh, Give me something that I can't figure out how to talk about. I also have, and we're going to go to our first call in just a second here, but uh, I also have, uh, before we go to Jocelyn, I have Mr. Carp envelopes here. I mean, if nobody calls up, well, Jocelyn is called up, so that that possibility no longer obtains. If nobody else besides Jocelyn calls up. I could open up Mr. Carp envelopes and I could read their contents. And they always have interesting contents, contents which I believe are potentially instructive to humankind um, or not. (laughs) So that's another option. I'm just saying we have lots of options here. All right. Time to go to the phones. 888-720-WNPR. 888-720-9677. Here's Jocelyn in East Haddam. Hi, Jocelyn. Hi, how are you? Just fine. No worse than can be expected. How are you? I am excited about our quilt show that is going to happen at Connecticut College this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And it's the first time we've been able to do it in five years with our Clamshell Quilt Guild. Now, uh, want... what is a, is a clam, is the, Is that a type of quilt, a clamshell quilt? Or is that no, the, just the name, the name of your of group? the guild. Name of your group. That's so that's kind of guild. it's kind of um, not a weak theme then, isn't it? That you're called the clamshell clamshell guild. And are, do you do any naughty quilts? Quilts that are actually naughty. Well, actually, um, we had a uh, our guild put together a clam a nautical one that was all covered with lobsters and and. Um, Lighthouses. What what uh, happened to that one? Do we have that one? Is it for sale? Can we look at it? Can we see it at the show? Well, you you can't see that one uh, except online. That one was for the raffle that we already did. But this one, I think, is called Waves. um, It's a water, and it is a nautical theme on on that one. There will probably be nautical quilts hanging up at the show because 
that seems to be something that people like to do. Are quilters are, um, are quilters very competitive with one another? Is it a collegial atmosphere or is it cutthroat? I mean, is it just like my quilt's better than your quilt? I'll see oh, you no, in hell. No, no, no. People people get very excited about other people's other people's work and other people's ideas. So it it goes uh, it goes from very very traditional to modern to um, art art quilts. So. Are there are there any quilts that are the other kind of naughty like n a u g h t y naughty? Um, sometimes. 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 Could be. Sometimes. Could be. By the sea. By the sea. Could be. <laughs> it, uh, it could be. It could be. There, I, I don't I, think I don't think there are any limits for what people can uh, can choose. And I wonder about that though. Surpri- you'd be very surprised at what people put on quilts. I well, first of all, and and that's before they even start using them. Um, all right. Well, it all sounds fascinating, Jocelyn. Uh, I thank you so much. I could talk to you all day about quilts, especially since I have no other calls right now. <laughs> um, so the number is eight 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 seven two zero WNPR. Like I know Iman will call at some point, so you know it's I'm guaranteed two calls. Eight 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 seven two zero nine six seven seven. So what else do I want to talk tell you about? Well, the other thing I'll just tell you about sort of internally. So our senior producer Lily Tyson is, you know, she really is sort of the person who keeps things humming, and, and organizes us and makes sure that we, you know, there's a plan. Because <laughs> it would upset her if there was no plan. I, I'm kind of fine. In fact, getting to Myers-Briggs, actually, let's just talk about Myers-Briggs for a second. Because we are going to be talking about this on Thursday. And I know there it's somewhat discredited now. There are people who really regard this as, you know, you know one, a couple of rungs up the ladder from astrology, but not too many rungs. And then there are some people who really regard it as very useful. And I found it very useful in my life. And one of the things... One of the ways that I found it useful is with people who aren't like me. Because um, I think one of the tendencies that we have, let me see if I can if I can articulate this. I think one of the one of the tendencies we have is to assume that everyone is like us. And then to the degree they turn out not to be, um, then we sort of see that as a failing. There's that, that's sort of, okay, to the degree that that person is different from me, that person sucks. Um, I'm using some highly technical psychoanalytic language here, but I think you follow what I'm saying. And so, for example, in the world of Myers-Briggs, I think I probably score high is not the right word because it sounds like you know that's a better score. And I don't think there's anything like that. It's more I, – I, I score extreme in several categories, but one of them is what's called judging versus perceiving. And people, as, as I understand it anyway, the people who are perceiving, people like me, kind of don't need to have everything resolved at, at every given moment. And uh, I don't – I'm comfortable, for example, doing <laughs> – I'm very comfortable right now, even though I'm doing an Ask or Tell Me Anything show and I don't have any phone calls except the one about quilting, which was excellent. I had a good time talking about quilting. But it doesn't really bother me very much, you know, that I don't really have a plan for this show. I just have a series of kind of escape hatches that I can maybe think up. And, and that's very consistent with the perceiving personality. You jump out of the airplane and then you wonder if you have any parachute at all. Um, whereas the judging personality, and that would be definitely Lily Tyson and probably a lot of other people that I work with, um, 
For the original producer of this show is Patrick Scahill. He's also a judging personality. And the thing about judging personalities, it doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that they're judgy, as I understand it, but it's that they really do require some resolutions. You know, they they want they want to know how things resolve. They want to know how things are set up. They want order. They're order muppets. They're kermits. Um, and I've discovered over the years <laughs> that I I have driven several producers out of their minds because I say, well, well, we'll just go on the air and we'll just it'll be fine. I don't know. We'll figure something out in mid show. We'll figure something out. Um, which is very upsetting to someone who really needs to plan a lot. But, see, I didn't understand that. I mean, I think one of the things that we do, and it's just kind of human nature, is we think, okay, so that person is not like me. That person's different from me. That person needs to change. <laughs> and I'm sure that the people who want to have three parachutes all rechecked and checked and rechecked before they jump out of the plane, are very frustrated with someone like me and wish that I would change, which is perfectly understandable. But the, but we're not going to change. <laughs> I'll give you another example. I don't think this is any surprise or would violate any confidentiality. But when Kyone Wolf, the ho- now the host of Audacious with Kyone Wolf, when she worked on the show, until we had sort of a Myers-Briggs kind of speed reading consultation with Paul Teeger, who's going to be on our show on Thursday, I didn't understand that I score probably kind of extreme numbers on an axis that contrasts thinking with feeling. Um, I'm actually what they call an INTP, introvert, intuitive, thinking, perceiving. Um, And that Wolfie scores very, well, I don't know, high, but Wolfie is solidly in the camp of feelings. In other words, feelings drive a lot of her decisions. Feelings activate her uh, in a way that thinking tends to activate me. Well, I didn't understand that. (laughs) And when you work with somebody, if you're a thinking person in a more or less supervisory capacity with a feeling person, one of the things you have to do is take their emotions into account, which is exactly one of the things I'm wired up not to do. (laughs) So after a year or so of probably, you know, either hurting her feelings or making her feel as though she was just completely starved for (laughs) any kind of emotional reinforcement, I understood this difference about us. And I, you know, wouldn't say I corrected everything, but, uh, you know, things got better. So I don't know. We're doing a whole show about it on Thursday. You are perfectly free to think that it's hocus pocus. Um... Which is, you know, I mean, that is, it's Myers-Briggs, but it's hocus-pocus. That's also a legitimate, we're going to deal with that. We'll put it that way. We are going to deal with that set of, the set of criticisms that now exist about it. All right. And we're very excited because also it's um, produced by our intern, Carol Chen, who I think is about to become, I'm probably head of NPR, whatever that job is called. Is there a job called head of NPR? <laughs> Um, Sith Lord of NPR. I don't know what the job is called, but she's going to have it. I mean, she's obviously, she has greatness oozing out of her. All right. So, I mean, not, you know, not like a weeping sore or something, just greatness, greatness oozing out of her. All right. Never mind. Oh, I'm also, I should point out the wheelhouse. I left out the wheelhouse. How can I leave out the the wheelhouse, the most nautically named show? Uh, The wheelhouse should be understood to being to be doing a nautically themed show every single time they do anything. But anyway, they are doing something about preserving horseshoe crabs. 
I think there are three horseshoe crabs that currently hold seats in the General Assembly. Uh, all right. So we have people calling in. Uh, we're going to start with Jack from Boston. All kinds of interesting calls are suddenly piling up here. Here's uh, Jack from Boston. Uh, what's on your mind, sir? Hey, Colin. Simple question. Um, do you people have any plans to do a show on ticks? You remember the CDC just came out with a stat, 30% increase just this year. And I wanted to write you a long email in March asking, please, please, do a show. Do, are you possibly planning to? Well, uh, not until this very second, but I mean, we could. It, the problem is going to be, I realize, first of all, A, that the, the tick season now is basically 12 months a year almost. Right. So right. it's like we could do the show at any time and it would be okay. Uh, but probably we should do it September, October or something like that. We're not, we won't get it done by August. You know, no. and the, the rule that we have, and maybe this is a useful thing to say on the air. I don't think I've said it uh, very often. But, um, but um, we have sort of this idea that we can do a show about anything, any topic, but we have to do it our way. We do, we do it a certain way. So, like, if we do a show about ticks— We'll do, you know, a pretty eccentric show about ticks, which is not to say that we won't talk about Lyme disease and the other stuff that they carry and and about the fact that there's more of them and that there seems to be higher numbers uh, with the disease stuff and the whole cycle. And they have a long tail like COVID that can set you back for months or more if you're unlucky. Right. But, But we would also do, you know, we would try to learn a lot about ticks. We would try to learn the secret lives of ticks and talk a lot about that, too. Because I feel like, to a certain degree, you know, most of the people know the health stuff. We'd be happy to put that in for a few minutes. But we're going to want to go deep. That's, that tends to be what we do. We wouldn't do a show about Lyme disease. Well, we would. We, we, but this show, the way that you describe it, is a show about ticks. And we would really do a show about ticks. I don't know. I'm, I'm very open to that idea. All right. This could be a, a voice from my, my past. Let's see. We have Nadine Nadine calling in from Canton. Hi, Nadine. Hi. How are you? Just fine. You were begging for callers, so I decided to call and say hi. <laughs> was was there was there like a, a desperate quaver in my voice when I was talking about that? No, no, it doesn't take much for me to call you. Yeah. Was there anything in particular but, on your mind today? I, I don't know how I can follow up from that cheerful caller you just had. I about just ticks? don't know. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. as the old song from the 60s said, those ticks just keep getting harder to find. And that's actually true. <laughs> I think they will bite you in places where, you know, it's, you can't even reach. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah. I, I believe they may have been, uh, may have evolved to do that. Well, Nadine, it is wonderful to hear your dulcet voice. Nadine used to call my show on WTIC. Uh, and it is good to hear her today. I don't want to put any pressure on her uh, because also we have a lot of people. I, there, I must have sounded really desperate, which I really wasn't. I would just happily sit here and open Mr. Carp envelopes and, and not bother anybody. But here's Richard calling from Bristol, Rhode Island. Hi, Richard. Hi. How are you, Colin? Just fine. Just fine. I wanted to drag you back to your nautical theme. Yes, please do. Um, I'm I- I'm cycling, which I know you also have an interest in. Uh, there's uh, something called the East Bay Bike Path that runs from uh, Providence uh, down to Bristol, Rhode Island. And a good part of it is along the East Bay. Um, and it's just nice out here. And When you announced your nautical theme, I thought I had to 
chime in. So, uh, so you, this is so it's it's a path along the bay. You can see the sea as you look to to one side. Um, you realize, of course, that you probably have just because you stopped to make this call. Four four or five ticks have attached themselves to you in the amount of time you've been waiting. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I turned off my Garmin. I don't want this to count against my progress today. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, happy cycling. Nice to hear your voice. Thank you for dragging us back to the nautically-themed week that we have here. It is not a week. All, All joking aside, all japery aside, it is not a week here at Connecticut Public, and all the shows will have either nautically themed shows or naughty shows. We'll probably do more naughty shows than most shows will. Here's David from Cromwell. Hi, David. Hey, Colin. Um, I've been dying to express an interest in uh, ski lifts and mass transit and um, thinking what I've heard on Planet uh, Green Channel about thinking within the limitless confines of the open universe. Um, and I wanted your format to hear this over your airwaves about um, instead of digging all these holes and making all these empty trains run all over the place, um, using some form of ski lift or gondola to make stations and uh, transport people, short, a uh, few amount of people, um, four at a time, two at a time, six at a time, um, on a, a quasi-ski lift mass transit scenario that would work within a person's schedule rather than all these empty buses and trains running around on their schedule. Well, first of all, this is a very interesting idea. I definitely want you to come back for the episode we're doing about psychedelics in, in August. But um, ski Thank lifts... Thank you very much. It, <laughs> it was on a psychedelic trip that I thought about this. You know, I'm just, I'm just so not floored by that revelation. I am so not surprised. So <laughs> ski lifts... They tend to, I mean, so you're saying something like a ski lift. It would be halfway between. A form or, a, you know, yeah. something that could hold a climate-controlled environment where there wouldn't have to be so much degradation of digging holes or uh, move, making roadways or, or huge bus stations. And, you know, to add to that, heck, we could use uh, uh, a, a, a cover to keep them from the, the, um, the elements uh, in the form of, oh, I don't know, solar panels to help produce the electricity to make them run. Uh, first of all, I love the solar panel idea. and I, I mean, I love the solar panel idea. I feel like almost anything new, I, I, if I were president or possibly king of the universe, um, I would say almost anything new, anything you do, anything you build, anything you substantially remodel should have a solar energy component to it. That should be a requirement. You can't do something new that doesn't at least have some per- derive some of some percentage of its power from either the sun or the wind. I think that just should be it's like a common sense law at this point. I don't know why it doesn't. Well, I do know why it doesn't exist. But back to this thing, I'm still trying to wrap my tiny little inflexible brittle mind around it. So it, it would be like a monorail kind of, but with smaller cars, right? I mean, in other words, a ski lift can go only go where the track of the ski lift is. So you're not really talking about a ski lift, but you're talking about something that runs above the roadbed, up in the air, uh, and it goes along some kind of fixed rail. So it's like a monorail, but... Or less complicated. I, I don't, I, I, I'm like, this is why I'm, I'm talking out loud on your format yeah. show 
wondering if it's catching the earshot of somebody that's staring at the radio saying, you know, I could picture uh, a gondola form coming into a station similar to a train station, but where you could add and interject cars to it, gondolas to it, where there's a heavier uh, requirement for traffic and set all of them in motion and then retract them when not necessary. Uh, but a, a gondola would be a, a lot of infrastructure. I don't know, uh, uh, ski cable lines, something. That, that's kind of what I see. I see it when I drive down the highways and see these poles in the air that are following the interstates or, you know, in, in that kind of a scenario where um, you wouldn't have to get to a train station for a schedule. You could just walk up to the platform and say, me and three of my friends want to get somewhere where this thing is going <laughs> at whatever time of the day. I can't tell whether you're a genius or still just really high. It's really hard to to tell. I mean, it's one or the other. I think you may be an important visionary. Although I think we need another term besides gondola because it, this sort of there's a whole kind of canal tie in here, which I don't. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> when, when I say I, when I, I know say gondola, I, I I think of the kind that go up. Uh, yes. Um, Oh, you know, the likes of the mountains, you know, it, it's an enclosed car rather than you know, everyone with this horrible vision of, you know, 15 degrees out uh, five o'clock in the morning in December uh, with their briefcase and coffee in hand on this open chair. All right. Uh, well, look, Dave, we have yeah. David, we absolutely need a break here, uh, but I am sending uh, your idea to the highest authorities uh, and I'm sure they'll get back to you because they already know who you are and where you live. Let's take a break. We'll be back with more Ask or Tell Me Anything. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. The FDA has recently approved ZepBound, a new medication for chronic weight management. Dr. Davida Umashankar, Hartford HealthCare's System Medical Director of Medical Weight Loss, tells us more. ZepBound helps decrease hunger and increase satiety levels. Taking this medication for 72 weeks, people can see at the highest dosage approximately 48 pounds of weight loss. So definitely a powerful drug and another powerful tool that we have to utilize to help individuals who struggle with obesity. For those ready to explore their medical weight loss options, Dr. Umashankar has advice on the first most important step. I don't think anyone knows you better than your own primary care physician. So having that conversation whenever you feel ready is so important because these medications are quite powerful and do need to be monitored on a regular basis. To learn more, go to ctpublic.org slash health. He's got money galore, and he's seldom cut short of a job. He can dress now as well, as any can tell, with a good silver watch in his fob. 
Poor Jack in his life was never paired with a wife. So sometimes with glasses he leaks. He's a seafaring, sailmaking, gambling, capering, rock drinking hero, Jack Hinks. See, one nice thing about Not A Week is it's a great excuse to play Great Big C. And speaking of what we play here, by the way, the number here is, uh, let me tell you something. You know at the beginning of the show where I had like one one call and it was about quilts and I was just saying I didn't have any calls? It turns out we had like a lot of calls, but they just weren't showing up technologically somehow, which happens more often than you might think. Um, all right. So... Uh, why don't we do this? Let's, um, all right. We have, we have many ways we could go here, but since we just were talking about music, I'm going to try to find this call. There he is. Uh, here's, we have a lot of people named David calling up today. It's kind of David day. And we haven't even had from Dave, Dave from Lake Como call yet. Here's David from Bethlehem. Hi, Colin. Hello. So, yeah. Hi. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Yeah. Hi, excellent. Yeah. I, I'm calling because I, I, I love the music on your show. Um, I like a lot of it, uh, including the sea shanties. But I've been wondering, when I do this, and I never hear any classical music, and it seems to me that there's a gap there, and I wonder if that's, you know, just the way it is, or if it's something that you, um, you know, have thoughts about. I do have thoughts about it. You will be pleased to hear that uh, on an upcoming, st- uh, we have a show about s- short stories. It's coming, I think, I think in a couple of weeks. Uh, and uh, out of one of the segments, we we're using "Other Song" by Caroline Shaw, and so percussion. Now, this isn't class. That's not classical. Classical music. I think we're talking about class. I hope we're talking about classical music in a pretty expansive way that you know yeah. would extend from the classical period all the way through modern composers like Max Richter or Arvo, Arvo Pear. I love Caroline Shaw. There was a particular reason why I picked that for this particular thing. The biggest problem with classical music is we do rely a lot on music with words. Uh, we don't play a lot of jazz instrumentals either. We don't. Um, you know, we, we might use those for music beds, but we do rely on words just because, you know, so often we're trying to key what we're playing to what it is we're talking about. Uh, right. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah, but but yeah. I, I agree. I'd like to be very inclusive and I'd like to include more stuff. And I, I'm trying to get a little hipper, too, about sort of some of the more recent music. I mean, I am paying a lot of attention to Caroline Shaw right now, but to, and to music kind of like that. I mean, there's no reason why we can't find some really cool, you know, Philip Glass or Brian Eno uh, kind of composition or a Terry Riley or something like that. And, and we should be working more of that. I think if you do Mozart, it's a little jarring, you know, it just... It's so sad to hear that. I'm a total Mozart freak. I, I know. Wonderful things you could bring in. But, <laughs> yeah, but I, I understand, you know, you have a, you have a leaning towards toward the present or something that comes within 50 years. Of the yeah, no, what I, the, the rule that I, uh, the rule that I lay down for everybody, and thank you so much for your call, but the rule I lay down for everybody on the show is, we pull music from basically 1923 to 2023. We've got kind of a 100-year period, and so we're certainly as interested in anything Jerome Kern wrote in, tw- in 1923 as we are as anything in, that Kendrick Lamar wrote in 2023. But when we go a little bit back further than that, it starts to feel kind of period uh, and, and a little out of things. All right, so we've got a lot of things that we have to deal with here. Some of them are connected to other things that we've talked about, uh, and some are not. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. But just out of the blue, let's talk to Rathan uh, in New Haven. Uh, you have the floor. Uh, what's on your mind? I know what's on your mind, but they don't know what's on your mind. 
Um, I heard you say New Haven, but didn't hear you say my name. Oh, no, I did say your name. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, gotcha. Uh, Yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on ice cream, specifically soft serve ice cream versus regular hard serve. I'm not even sure what you call it. Um, I love ice cream in all forms, but I have pretty strong preferences Hmm. and was wondering how you felt. Well, I share a life with a woman who who doesn't even really need a phone to locate Dairy Queens uh, when it comes to, uh, speaking of soft ice cream now, like she just doesn't even, I think it's like cybernetically, there's some kind of motherboard inside her head where she would just know, you know, what the nearest Dairy Queen would be, even if we're in an area she's never visited before. So there's sort of that. And, you know, I I, I feel like soft ice cream is is experiencing the opposite of a renaissance. You know, I think there's a kind of period of decline in soft ice cream. You don't get offered, and it's certainly frozen yogurt. What's the last time you went by a, like a frozen yogurt stand or place? Oh, yeah. It's been like a decade. That's like oh, so over, which is weird because there was a period of time where people just loved it. So I feel as though temporarily hard ice cream – <laughs> I like like that hard ice cream because it makes them sound like an iron fist, and I think right now that that's true. Iron uh, soft uh, hard ice cream has its boot on our neck right now. I don't think we have the choices we used to have, and I'm not comfortable with that. How's that for having an opinion? That's a hot take on yeah. ice cream. <laughs> that's pretty good. I don't know. There's a new soft serve ice cream place that just opened in my neighborhood not that long ago, so I think it might be. Might be having a comeback. Well, New Haven is the cutting edge of these things. We won't get it in the rest yeah. of Connecticut for two or three years. But um, <laughs> so go to New Haven. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks. That was a very interesting question. Um, I wonder why did why did people turn against frozen yogurt? They liked it so much. I mean, they liked it too much. <laughs> and now they don't like it at all. I don't understand. All right, let's go back to David's. Uh, gondola mass transit idea. I should have thought of this, but fortunately, somebody else named David. I mean, I really can't tell you how many people named David have called up today because I don't know, but also because there were a lot. So David from East Hartford, you now have uh, the David chair of mass transit. Thanks, Colin. Uh, You were having some fun with the gondola guy, but don't they have the a Roosevelt Island tramway in New York? I mean, it's a real thing, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yes. Now, what I, what I would say is if I understood the thinking of David 1, as opposed to you, David 2, um, David 1's idea was, I mean, so the, the Roosevelt Island thing, it goes from one, one place to another place, and that's it, right? I mean, you can't take the Roosevelt Island tramway to Soho uh, or to Harlem. You can just take it to Roosevelt Island and back. You know, I don't doesn't really have any stops in the middle, as I if I recall. You just you get on yeah. it, you go over, you and get off. Alone, it's fighting terrorists. Yeah, no, it doesn't that's right. Stop. So, um, so David's but, um, David One's idea is that you take that and you turn it into mass transit, so that maybe New York City is not not a great place to try this. Well, but I think yeah. I think you. You could use it to get pedestrians across a bridge because you don't have to build infrastructure. You kind of hang the gondola off the existing bridge and put, uh, you know, for pedestrians. Right. If we're going to uh, pitch this idea at public hearings, let's not mention mention Sylvester Stallone, all right? Because okay. uh, <laughs> I just don't think it really adds to our case. No, I think, for example, a place like Hartford, and to a less, well, yeah, you're, you're, so Hartford has real problems, right, in the sense that, you know, we have this incredibly bizarre 
viaduct slash interchange that was probably designed by a woman who ran a depart- department store in downtown Hartford. And it's really hard to incorporate mass transit or even non-mass transit. Uh, but to your point, yeah, if you wanted to create something that would, you know, at least offer the mass transit aspect that it would be unencumbered by other kinds of traffic. Yeah, just something that you could get on, let's say, where the Yard Goat Stadium is, <coughs> excuse me, right now, and then go south a number of stops and maybe go west uh, a little bit towards West Hartford and then east to go see you, go across the river to see you uh, in East Hartford and Manchester. I could see a gondola-type system. And I think David One's idea is that you wouldn't necessarily, first of all, it might be easier to build, who knows, but you certainly wouldn't have to rip up roadbed or figure out you know, what you're going to do with the existing ground transportation in order to make room for it. And then what he likes about it or what he liked about it when the ayahuasca was kicking in initially uh, was that you could just do smaller cars. You do, you know, if eight people want to go somewhere, then eight people go somewhere. There's an eight-seat car that takes off. That, uh, I think it's too slow for that. If you're hanging off a wire, you've got to move slow. Maybe maybe it could be just a zip line, you know, and you could just you just grab something and go wherever it is you want to go. Obviously, we've got to you know we've got to iron some of the kinks out of this thing, but you know we're going to get there. All right, so let me do uh, Dawn and then Iman, and then uh, we we'll probably take another break, and then we'll uh, we'll go back uh, to the, your other calls. But here's Dawn, who's been waiting a while. Hi, Dawn. Hi, Colin. How are you? Just fine. I am delighted to finally speak to you. I've tried to call in many, many times and not made it through. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, You spoke, and you're going to play the program on Wednesday with the Joe crew, Monday night at the Griswold Inn. I am what they call the band empress. I sit at the band table and talk to people, sell them CDs, and give them information if they're interested in booking and that kind of stuff. But I'm also Rick Spencer of the Joe Bill Crew's primary music partner. Hmm. And we will be singing, uh, we did last week, and we will be again on Friday this week at Mystic Seaport. They're doing an event, a new event, called Sunset at Spouters. So you have the option of sitting at Spouters Tavern from 5 to 7. You don't have to pay seaport admission. You could come in and hear sea shanties for two hours, sing to your heart's content, have a water or an adult beverage, if you like, and uh, it's a great setting. You know, I came up with this idea, which I mentioned to the Jovial crew, and they didn't reject it out of hand, uh, but okay. uh, but nor did they embrace it. So since I now have somebody else from the Sea Shanty community here, which is, I think there needs to be an update on certain sea shanties, and I'll give you an example. What shall we do with a drunken sailor? What shall we do with a drunken sailor? What shall we do with a drunken sailor early in the morning? Get him in a 12-step program, matey. Get him in a 12-step program, matey. Get him in a 12-step program, matey. Early in the morning. Set our sails for Betty Ford now. Set our sails for Betty Ford. Anyway, you see the the idea that I've got here. It's just some of these songs are a little bit out of date. Uh, I don't think they reflect... You know, our, I have added a verse to that song of make them listen to the Partridge family. <laughs> well, that's I make the punishment fit the crime. That's what I say. All right. I really need to go to a break. But also, Iman is a thinker of such imports that I don't think she can be kept waiting. What do you think? What should I do? Um, we need a break. It says we need a break. All right. Well, oh, no, that was the old we need a break. <laughs> that was the break we needed 20 minutes ago. All right, I'm going to go to Iman in New Haven. Hi, you have the floor. I know you've been thinking a lot about sports lately. <laughs> that is 
true. Um, I also really enjoyed your singing just now. That was excellent. Thank you. Um, I was thinking, so I've been thinking about the, like, AI in the arts and, you know, the writer's strike, the actor's strike, and I started thinking, well, what if AI came for sports? Like, and in some ways it has already. Like, I think, like, statisticians use AI to kind of figure out, like, what the best plays are when and like when players should be rested and everything like that but what if instead of like having actual athletes we had like robots that like could dunk every single time or you know just be perfect like would would we be more interested in watching that than watching real people do sports no i see i assume we'd be less interested because sports the the fundamental bargain the philosophical bargain of sports is what can the human body achieve what can this human body and skill set and brain it all comes together uh, and you know either you're Pete Maravich or you're just some guy dribbling a basketball you know um, and and I, to me that's I think for most people some of the excitement is you know you watch the Olympics you think oh Usain Bolt is like really fast for a human being uh, putting having him run against robots or robots run against each other but to your earlier point, I think probably AI will get the kind of um, sort of the, the, the metric analysis. I'm looking for the, there's, there's the quantitative analysis part of sports. As you say, it's already a big part of it. But I mean, you could take something like boxing, the sport that you love. You know, I don't, I don't know if they've done that yet, but you could just, you could have AI ingest um, videos or films of every single fight a boxer had that made it onto film and, and come up with a plan for beating that boxer. You know, you got to hit him this way, this way, this way, and then that way. Um, and, and that'll be interesting. I think you still need human beings out there throwing the punches and ducking. But uh, you know what I'm saying, though? I, I agree with you. And I, and I think that's true to some extent. Um, this might get me on a little bit of a, like, I don't know, thing about, like, women's sports. I agree. I think so much of sports is about, like, what can you do? What can you achieve in this very body that you have? And yet, when I hear a lot of people talk, men mostly talk about why they're not interested in watching women's sports, it's often this comparison of, like, well, they can't do it quite like the guys. And it's, like, actually competition is relational between the two people on the field. And so I kind of do think that there's, like, a group of people who watch sports who actually just want to see, like, the most exceptional thing and don't really care so much about, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, they want to see certain types of people do things. They don't want to just see people do sports. Yeah. I mean, I think, first of all, several things can be true at once. And I think here in Connecticut, first of all, we've come to understand that women's basketball, although it might involve, you know, less dunking and, 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 just not the rip-roaring uh, pace that the fastest guard can take darting down the court in the NBA, that there's a kind of beauty and elegance and watchability to the game that in many ways has begun to escape the men's game. Uh, and I think the okay. biggest mistake you can make is try to make a women's game more like the men's game. Uh, you need to look at it for what it is, what it does, what it will tend to do better than the men's game. You know, I think women's boxing, which, believe it or not, I've watched in person a decent amount of is kind of the oh, same really? way. Yeah. I mean, first of I think it's less knockout oriented. I don't think there are many, you know, I mean, at least I've never seen, <laughs> uh, I might've seen one that ended in a TKO. I, I don't know. But, um, 
just because of the upper body strength and stuff like that, I assume. But that means there's more skill. There you have to you have to win on points, which means you have to you don't even have the option probably very often. Of, to correct me if I'm wrong, of going for the knockout most of the time. You've got to figure out how to outfight the other fighter. I, I agree. I and that's why I love women's boxing. I mean, as a women's boxer, I, I like that. Like I wasn't fighting huge people who could knock me out because I didn't want to get knocked out. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, we have to stop here because I've already, I should have taken the break, but uh, we're going to take the break now. We'll come back. We'll squeeze one or two calls onto the air. The number is 888-720-WNPR. Let's play this all the way to the end, Cap. In the U.S., we tend to think of slavery as a Southern thing. Slavery in New England has been intentionally erased. The story we tell is this is family slavery. So it comes off as very benign and not dehumanizing. Coming March 18th, a special series, Unforgotten, Connecticut's Hidden History of Slavery. Visit ctpublic.org unforgotten. Funding provided by the Wadsworth Athenaeum Museum of Art and the Amistad Center for Art and Culture. Connecticut's own Jacques Pepin is a culinary icon. When you make a contribution to Connecticut Public today, you can experience a once-in-a-lifetime dinner with the acclaimed PBS chef and author on Monday, May 6th at the gorgeous Oceanfront Madison Beach Hotel in Madison, Connecticut. Sponsored by Isana Plastic Surgery Center and Med Spa and Fuchs Financial. For tickets, visit ctpublic.org slash Pepin. We are back. Cat Pastor is the technical producer today, and Jonathan McPants uh, is in there screening calls and producing this episode. Um, once again, our, well, I don't know. Should I, we don't have them. Uh, we're just going to take these two calls, and then we'll be done. All right, let's go to uh, Anthony in New Haven, and then we'll have Rich from Middletown, and that'll probably be the whole show. Hi, Anthony. You have the floor. Hey, Colin. Thanks so much. I, I appreciate it. Great show. I'm, I'm a longtime listener. So I was recently in New Orleans, a few weeks ago, visiting my dad, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, one of the big stories of the all over the country was this heat wave, and it was legitimately—I mean, seriously—a hundred. The heat index was 110 uh, a lot of days, and you know, I saw that on the news. You know, my dad watches a lot of news, and it seemed to be the main story, and how you know they're talking about how dangerous the heat is, and. You know, to me, it was kind of funny because they would interview people on the street to talk about how dangerous be out on the street. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, I kind of wonder, well, why don't you just go inside? Um, but, you know, when I actually went out, there was this huge disconnect in my mind. Mm-hmm. Because I went to City Park, which is the main park. Kids are playing on the playground. Moms are walking, or, I'm sorry, are, you know, pushing strollers. I saw a kid in a hoodie fishing um you know i see people and you know some not a lot of people but some people in long sleeves you know i went to the french market and there's this covered outdoor um area and i mean it had to have been 115 in there and and, you know nobody is missing a beat nobody is changing what they're doing and so there's this huge disconnect between how it's being portrayed on tv 
as this dangerous thing that people cannot handle versus the reality, which is people, you know, the human body is pretty adaptable. You can tolerate 110, probably even 115. You know, the last thing I'll say is, you know, I was staying with my dad, you know, and he's an elderly guy. And like a lot of elderly people, he doesn't like air conditioning. The heat index is 110 outside and we're in an apartment without air conditioning. Yeah. So I'm just curious, curious on your thoughts of this. And, and, and one last thing, you know, before I hand it back to you, you know, I wonder if it has anything to do with a sort of desire to persuade the holdouts on global warming or climate change, if, if that's part of this, you know, sort of over, you know, coverage, I would say, of the heat wave. I don't so, know. I mean, yeah. I, I no, I think the heat wave is a real thing. I mean, first of all, yes. In the South, people know how to deal with heat better than they do up in the, in the North. They just know how to live alongside it, maybe how to pace their days a little bit, uh, maybe how to find the breezy spot in the park or the uh, shady part of the front porch or, or whatever. But, you know, what's what we've been through this summer is absolutely the engine light blinking uh, on the dashboard. Uh, and, and, I mean, it, 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 we are setting records all, all the time now, and they're not the good kind of records and you've got the you know the the over 100 degree ocean water in florida uh, i realize it's not the first time that's ever happened but it's all of this has to be interpreted as a warning and i not to make everything political and actually we've gotten through the whole show without being political but i kind of don't understand like like biden right now has an industrial policy an economic policy bidenomics is based on very very heavily on the idea of clean energy I don't know how you run against that. You know, the Republicans really seem to still want to kind of deny the reality of global warming and climate change, the urgency of dealing with it. Uh, and, and, you know, if they get in, I mean, typically what they do is they weaken the EPA. They weaken all kinds of laws that mandate conservation and mandate clean energy policies. I don't know how that's even politically viable anymore. I don't know why anybody would vote, and particularly anybody young. I mean, you know, I'm, you know, probably around your father's age or or so. We're we're going to live on this planet for, you know, if we're lucky, another 20, 25 years, something like that. But people who have to live their whole lives, have their whole lives ahead of them, and this planet is becoming less and less habitable. I don't know how anybody successfully campaigns anywhere, particularly if the youth vote. I was thinking a lot today about these two subjects. I have to apologize to Rich. We just didn't get to you, but thanks for your call. And we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking about gondolas in the future anyway. Because, like, you know, people talk about gondolas all the time. But I've been thinking a lot about the youth vote in 2024. If a lot of young people vote, uh, it's going to be very bad news for the Republican Party. All right, we have to go. Thanks for listening. Thanks for everything. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>